views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the hit show, Raging Skillet Radio, mouthing off with Chef Rossi. Each show, Rossi, a.k.a. Chef Rossi, and author of the hit memoir, The Raging Skillet, mouths off about different subjects in the pursuit of breaking down walls and opening up our minds. Look out. She and Dr. Pat banter back and forth using the subject of each show as a framework for uplifting, inspiring, and what exuberant conversations. So get ready for that appetizer that will wet your whistle as we lean into the main course of the day. Issues, conversations, things that are heavy on your minds, but lightening up your heart and ending each show off with that sweet, sweet, sweet dessert of inspiration. Now, here is your host, Chef Rossi. Chef Rossi, you're here. I'm here. I'm Dr. Pat. Chef Rossi, we are both here today getting ready to kick it up. Wow. Raging Skillet Radio. Mouthing off with Chef Rossi. Listen. I love the evolution of us. I love the evolution of the show. I love being able to have a forum for things that are super, super important. And what you've created in your life, who you are, Raging Skillet, not just the book, but the play, getting the word out, mouthing off, but also mouthing off with words of kindness, inspiration, right. and encouragement. I got to ask you this before we jump into this. You have been out in the world. People have seen your play. We're, we're looking at the, the direction for the show now to go. What have you been hearing people say, Chef Rossi, other than About- we love your food? <laughs> <laughs> well, lately I've been hearing a lot. I mean, the... The Raging Skillet play opened in Hartford, Connecticut back, uh, I guess it opened July 28th and it ran till August 27th. And I think, if I counted correctly, I think about 7,000 or so people saw the show. It was pretty much like sold out every night. And it was such a thing of love. Like every night a standing ovation, every night people laughing and crying. It was just like a love festival made me feel like this is kind of like Woodstock come around in a different way. And since the show closed in Hartford, I've been on a campaign to make sure it travels around the country as much as I can because I feel like, you, you remember that show, The Soul Train? The Soul yeah. Train. I feel like the play and the book and the movement is something like the love train. And right now, there's so much hate and so much fear-mongering in this country. I mean, like, I did not think I would see Nazis walking boldly with their signs and their chanting, you know, in 2017. I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime. And we've got 
enormous fear-mongering and hate-mongering and racism and homophobia. I mean, a movement of hate like I don't think this country's seen since the 40s and 50s. So the only way to really combat that is with massive doses of love. And so if I can be part of a movement that feels like the love train, you know, bring it on. Yeah, and I want to be really clear about this because you and I are really going to kick it up here. And that is we are talking about being able to be part of a love train, but we're not saying not to take action. Right. Okay. No. Right, because you wrote an anti I'm not going on a hunger strike, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the other thing is I was talking to you before the break, and I said Mm -hmm. I cannot believe what they're going to get and ready to pass for health care and put everything back on the states. I got to tell you all, for the state of Washington, those of you listening to this, you know, we are a little bit different. We have a lot of Medicaid stuff that goes on here. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that are in need, and the state of Washington, uh, unlike some of the other states, there's got to be a way to pay for it. So we are kind of going under the radar, Uh but I'm listening to some of these mean comments about people. You know, it's like everyone's paying attention to North Korea right now, and they're paying attention to a lot of things that we, we clearly should be paying attention to. In the middle of all this giant stuff happening, you've got certain Republicans who just, no matter what, they just want to repeal Obamacare. They don't care how many people they basically, I'm just going to say it, how many people they murder, how many people who die, how many states are really left in the toilet, how many people are hurt. They don't care about any of that. They just want to try to erase Obama. And I'm pretty sure the 45th president, who I refuse to give a name, but I have decided to give him a nickname, if you'll allow me. I'm calling him Dingleberry. And people in the know know what a Dingleberry is. So, and if you know, you can also call him the Saffron Dingleberry. But in any case, Dingleberry has been on a mission. How can I erase Obama? How can I make it so Obama never happened? I know what I'll do. I'll take every good thing that man did and just erase it. Obama wanted to fight for DACA, for our dreamers, for kids that were in this country since they were so little. They don't know anywhere else or anything else or any other country. What is the reason to attack those kids? What is the reason to attack transgender kids? What is the reason to take away people's health insurance? Just one. How could I erase Obama? How could I make it so he never happened? Bad enough, a black man got to be president for eight years in America. Well, I'm just going to try to make it so it never happened. I'm just going to erase every good thing he ever did, and however many hundreds of thousands and millions of people are sick and dying because of it. So what? As long as I got to erase Obama, that's what it all comes down to. And it is evil. It's evil. Well, can we let's just talk about this for a minute because what comes out on the heels of this on the I don't know whether it's the heels of it I don't even know how to say it the most shocking study that we have had in decades 
on the real drug issue. So all of the dialogue, Chef, has been about opioids, opioids, opioids. Finally, finally, the heroin study comes out. And what we now have is one of the most serious, if not the serious, drug addiction problem in this country infiltrating all people regardless of class see see it's not it used to be ah those people over there they're using drugs oh wait a minute those people over there they're using drugs not this though and yet as we're talking about the mean and the anti-mean mean would be not providing them with care. Sure. That's mean. Well, the sneaky little thing about the drug epidemic is that it's not just not just like some down-and-out-looking, you know, person with no home and no job that's on drugs now. Now it's going to be like that rich little girl in college might be a heroin junkie. I mean, it's very deceptive, and it's really epidemic levels. And there's people who are in pain. They're in pain, so they're turning to drugs. I, I don't really think that we have got anyone fighting this the way they should be fighting this or even pretending to care, mm-hmm. sort of putting it on the back burner. Probably it'll stay on the back burner until it's the son and daughter of a lot of our politicians, and suddenly it won't be on the back burner. Remember mm-hmm. that movie with Michael Douglas? Yeah. What was it called? Traffic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then he was, you know, on this campaign uh, against the drug dealers and sort of ignoring the epidemic of the addict until it was his own daughter that he discovered was addicted. So I don't know what it's going to take, but I think it's going to take a lot more people opening their mouth. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about this new party that you've talked about, Mm -hmm. the anti-mean. That's right. I love that. I love that. Well, because it's all about, are you a Democrat? Are you Republican? And people have this conception that Democrats are always the nice guys and Republicans are always the mean guys and independents are always the really nice guys. And in a lot of ways, I have to admit that's more true than it is not true, because at least the Democrats are not fighting to take away people's health insurance. But the reality is, that if people stop worrying so much about their party and start worrying about this movement of hatred and meanness and try to make their decisions based on what is kind and what is decent and what is human, the whole country is going to be better. I mean, people losing their health care is mean. Mm -hmm. People never having proper health care, even in the first place, is mean. So what would be the anti-mean? The anti-mean would be, let us get everyone health care. And so, yes, Obamacare had a lot of flaws, you know, partially because even in his own party there were so many yes and no's and yes and no's that he was compromising so much to get, get it through that it had a million flaws. But it still was a huge improvement over what there was before because what there was before was nothing. So, yes, you want to get rid of the flaws, but you don't get rid of the, all the good that that had to offer. You know... I've also noticed an enormous wave of uh, sexism in this country, racism, sexism, homophobia. And it's like I don't recall feeling that level 
in, I mean, you know, maybe in the 60s when we needed the 60s to fight against it. But, I mean, it hasn't been in decades that we've seen the level that we've seen right now. Yeah. You know, this is why you're writing what you're writing and doing the shows you're doing. You know, this is time to change the world. The question is, how do we reverse the tide of hate? that has been uh, in, infecting uh, America. And I think I shared the story with you that, you know, Linda was driving down to the shop, right? Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and all of a sudden outside a church, she saw people with KKK masks and people with signs of hate. And she was shocked in central oh West New Jersey. And I think the time for being shocked is over. It is the time to change now. That's right. You know what? I think people are drawing the parallels a lot, and I have to say I am too, about mm-hmm. some of what happened on the uprise of Hitler. So we all know what Hitler, when he got into power, you know, he went and massacred and murdered and, you know, millions mm-hmm. and millions of people, not just my people, the Jews, but lots yeah. of other people. But what I'm more interested in talking about was his rise. Because when he was first starting to come to power, People didn't take him so seriously. I mean, he was so underqualified, and he was sort of odd, and I think some people thought he was funny, you know. But then um, he started to lasso the depression. There were so many people in Germany at the time who were poor. They'd lost World War I. They were having all sorts of depression and kinds of issues. And he started to lasso that, figured out the way to make them feel better and get them under him was to give them a scapegoat, to give them someone to feel better than. So he started kind of championing German pride and blonde hair and blue eyes, and you're better than the Jews, you're better than anyone who's disabled, who's retarded, who's mentally ill, you know, who's mentally challenged. I should say, I can't say retarded anymore, I'm sorry. Mm. But he lassoed that and gave them someone to feel better than. And that's what's happening now. I mean, Dingleberry is taking all the people, all the coal miners who are out of work, all the people who are losing their homes and their jobs and having depression and having a lack of money and a lack of self-esteem, and telling them, you are better than the immigrants. The immigrants are the reason for your problem. Well, first of all, the immigrants are not any reason for their problem, and if they do have a job, it's certainly not coal mining, so it's certainly not the reason for their problem, but... He's got them thinking that immigrants and Mexicans are the reason for their problem. He's got people thinking that uh, transgenders in the military will cost a fortune. Never mind the fact that the cost would be a small fraction of how much the military is spending on Viagra. So basically, it's okay to spend, I don't know what it was, 50 or $60 million on Viagra, but it's not okay to spend 5 or $6 million on transgender health care. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just sort of mind-boggling. I think if anyone is willing to go into the military and fight for our country, whether they're a man or a woman or gay or straight or in the body and the gender they were born with, you know, let them serve because I sure as hell don't want to go in the Army. You know, like, we need them. It's yeah. crazy. But, you know, part of this, too, is now, and let's go ahead and skip this break, Benny. Um, you know, part of this now is looking at, well, here we are. Let's have a vote and a vote for kindness. 
Mm-hmm. And the question then becomes, Chef, is if there's a vote for, for kindness, how do we speak to the haters? Now, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, we've had to grow up in generation and decades and decades where we've been right across the table with people that absolutely hated everything that was going on with the change in America. And Mm -hmm. that was easy to see. It was Mm -hmm. on the television. It was Mm -hmm. on the radio. You saw the marches that were going on, people clashing left and right. This is a different time we live in. How do we speak to people that are out there that are so fueled by hatred and fear, what can we do? Well, there's a lot of different things we can do. I mean, first of all, I think the easiest way, and not that it's easy at all, but I should say the best way to stop hatred is to stop supporting it. So if there's a politician who is spewing hatred, who is hurting people, who is showing his racism or her racism um, and homophobia, The best way to stop that is to stop voting for them, to stop supporting them, to stop going to their rallies, to instead go to town halls and speak out. I mean, the town halls in this country have been powerful. The Republicans that have been trying to push through this horrible health care bill, they've been really getting it at the town hall. Some of them don't even want to go to town halls anymore because out of fear of what they're getting. But that's good to speak out. You have to speak out and fight the tide. I mean, if no one had supported Hitler, there never would have been a Hitler. But the bigger issue is not necessarily not supporting the hatred, but it's so many people will not speak out. I have a good friend of mine who um, voted for Dingleberry, and a lot of people in my life did also vote for Dingleberry, and some people in my life who did so are good people. Um, But he voted for him, and he has seen people he know be worried about being deported. He's seen what's happened to the gay and lesbian community. He's seen the homophobia that's happened as a result of that. And he refuses to speak out. The reason he refuses to speak out is because, first of all, speaking out would then say that he was wrong, and it's hard to admit you were wrong. But second of all, he is a businessman, and he's enjoying what this is doing for the Dow Jones and the stock market and his bank account. And making it very hard for me. It's making it very hard for me to stay friends. It's hard to stay friends with someone who won't speak out when they see wrong happening. You have to be brave. I mean, I choose my friends based on them being kind and decent, and it's also sort of nice if they're interesting and funny, but I also need them to be brave. I cannot be friends with a coward. I just can't, and there's enough Mm -hmm. cowards in the world. I just choose to not be friends with them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think part of this anti-mine campaign is to really look at the behaviors, the actions, the legislation that gets voted for. Like, for example, right now, um, looking at where mean is showing up and, and, and really be able to talk to people like you and me. I mean, I come from a working class family and I know what it's like to, to, to be out in the street. I also know what it's like to work hard. 
what I, I don't quite understand is how we can use the language we use, take the actions we take, and not understand that if you don't want to use the word mean, how much harm, Chef Rossi, are we doing? Harm. See that word harm? You're hurting everyone you know. Look, even if you're someone who seems to have benefited from the decisions that you're watching on the news, even if, even if you are someone who seems to have benefited, even if your bank account is higher because you've invested in the stock market and the stock market loves it when you get rid of all regulations, the stock market loves it when you stop protecting the environment and when you say global warming is just a theory and when you suddenly let them drill and, you know, who cares what animals they kill and what wilderness they ruin, you know, the stock market loves that. The stock market loves it when you tax the rich less and the poor more. So you might be someone who's benefited financially from some of these decisions that are happening in the news lately. But it's still going to affect you because if everyone around you is suffering and you're the only one who's not or you're the 1% or 5% or is not, you know, what are you going to do? Build a wall? I have a lot of wall building talk. Maybe you're going to build a wall and a fortress around you so that you don't see everyone suffering around you. It's only a matter of time before there's some sort of a revolution. I think that a revolution of sorts is what's already started. I mean, the Women's March felt as close to a revolution as I've ever seen in my lifetime, certainly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, part of this, too, is defining what acts of kindness might be. Sometimes, um, I think, Chef Rossi, one of the things that happens is we think, well, wait a minute, we've got to march out in the, sc- in the street. Well, maybe you do, or maybe you want to, but we can really look at what it is we can do. So, for example, for me, I'm not on social media or Facebook today and sending, like, hate messages to Lisa Murkowski or uh, Susan Collins. What I'm doing is I'm sending them, please think about this. And so, for example, for Lisa Murkowski up in Alaska, I am sending her, did you know what the heroin addiction rate is in the state you live in and you all in Alaska having one of the highest overdose dying rates in the country? Now, Mm -hmm. those are not nice things to say. But sometimes but don't it. we have to share information, even if it's not pleasant? I think one of the kindest hate. things you can do yeah. um, is to say out loud, this is wrong. Mm. You know, like, this is wrong. This ugly thing is happening. We're not going to keep our eyes closed and our mouths shut. Just say it out loud. I mean, I've been, I don't think I've been flapping my mouth as much as I have been since... Uh, January. I mean, my mm-hmm. God, sometimes I just have to take a few days break because I feel myself bubbling over with all sorts of illness. But I like to speak out loud, to open my mouth either on my computer, on the Huffington Post, on my blog, on Facebook, on Twitter, on all those forms, but also talking to people and say when something's wrong. Now, it's easy to say when something's wrong when you're around like-minded people. But when you're around people that are not like-minded, it's harder and it's braver. And it may not be something that they like to hear. 
but you have to be said because people have to hear it. I had a group of people, um, we all got together for drinks. We were celebrating one night after the play. And everyone in the group was like-minded except for one person, and that one person uh, had voted for Dingleberry. So everyone assumed that he had not because they thought we were all like-minded, but they were very surprised to find out they were wrong. And I guess it would have been easy just to stop the conversation and change it to talking about the weather and no one wants to ruffle any feathers. But it was all the more reason to have the conversation. But instead of getting into a fight with him, we all took time to tell him why we felt the way we felt. And a very good friend of mine tried to explain to him how it felt to her, how his vote felt to her. And she said, you have to understand, for me, for us, it feels like you voted for Adolf Hitler, Mm. which is the closest that you can say. And that's Mm -hmm. how I feel, too. People who voted for Dingleberry, maybe I can forgive them for their vote because he was speaking out to people who were impoverished. He was speaking out to people who were jobless. He was going to areas that no one had gone to. And people were like, at least he seems to care about us. I could have told them that I don't think he cares about anyone but themselves, but I understand why they did it. But now they've been watching everything that's happened since then how he systematically tries to take money away from the arts, from Meals on Wheels, take people's health care away, constantly trying to ban immigrants, and on and on. The list is endless of all the terrible mean things he does. So now, if they're not willing to speak out, now I no longer forgive them. I forgive anyone who voted for him, but I don't forgive you if you're no longer, if you're still keeping your mouth shut and no longer willing to open it and speak out and be brave. Because this man is doing terrible things to this country and to our world. And not to mention the fact that we have a spoiled brat in North Korea with a lot of money and a lot of power. But the way to talk to him is not to say, we're going to destroy your country, like um, Dingleberry just bragged about, because that's going to make it happen. It's going to make a nuclear war happen. Now you have two people in a penis war. It's going to happen. And what will happen is... Um, Mr. North Korea will just go hiding in his bunker. I'm sure he's got an anti-nuke bunker. He knows it's coming. And millions of innocent people will be killed. And those nukes will go into the environment, and South Korea will be hurt, and the wildlife will be hurt, and the fish and the birds. and It's the gift that keeps on giving. So mm-hmm. what we need is not two spoiled rich kids duking it out. We need someone with a heart trying to talk this into some sense and trying to get to some diplomacy. Yeah, I I mean, one of the things that I think we have forgotten about is that there is the art of negotiation and the art of communication. And when we think about what it is that will get people on all sides, not just both, there are more than Mm -hmm. two sides, all sides of the table to sit down and have a conversation, then are we able to make a forward movement to find common ground? We're so interested in differences. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the winner. You know, there's that ABBA song, the winner takes it all or something. The winner takes it all. That's that ABBA song. When we come back, Who do you think the winner is? 
Chef Rossi. I'm Dr. Pat. You're listening to Raging Skillet Radio, mouthing off Chef Rossi. This is about the new political party today, the anti-mean. Stay tuned, everybody. That's actually the new superhero in town. We'll be right back. Yo, it's been Mr. Worldwide. Let's show the world how powerful love is. Now let's spread love around the world. Round and round and round we go. Waiting for the wind to blow. As we walk the streets. If you're one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you're ready to take your power back, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com. Or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-MIND. In this day and age, if you don't reinvent yourself, you may never find balance, peace, and the sustainable life that is your birthright. Angela Watson Robertson, known as the Reinvention Warrior and the host of Breakthrough Radio Show Masters of Reinvention, is here to help you reinvent every area of your life. Tune in and hear from the best in the personal transformation business and discover tips and tools for positive change. Live every month on Transformation Talk Radio. Are you struggling in a relationship and deeply craving some tools and support to get things back on track? Do you crave having a loving, compassionate relationship with Mr. Right, but always seem to pick Mr. Wrong? Well, Sarah Luce can help. She's created a four-week online course starting September 28th that will teach you how to shift your energy and behavior to have new transformative outcomes. And you're going to get a personal one-on-one session with Sarah to ensure you get powerful personal results. Sign up today at sarahluce.com. Have you ever lost your way while driving somewhere? This can be unsettling as you don't know if you should go left, right, forward, backwards, or make a U-turn. Hi, I'm Eve from Elite Tarot, host of the weekly show Mainstream Metaphysics Radio, where we harness the power of the universe for happier living. As an intuitive coach and professional tarot card reader, I work with clients worldwide on helping them get back on their natural road of living their life with joy. Next time you feel off track, Tap into your inner child's sense of joy and write down on paper the non-negotiable qualities that you're needing in career or love, but without limiting specifics. With your list, you know where to place your energy going forward and where not to. You're always best served when your inner child is at the navigation controls. However, don't worry, you still have the keys to the car. If you would like to schedule a personal navigation session with me, please visit my website at elitetarot.com. That's E-L-I-T-E-T-A-R-O-T.com. I played all my cards And that's what you've done too Nothing more to say No more race to play The winner takes it all the loser is standing small.
Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, what a great show. And, you know, we're having a conversation here today because this is Mouthing Off with Chef Frosty. I'm Dr. Pat. Um, if you want to find out more, if you want to get a copy of um, Chef Frosty's book, if you want to find out more about the play, um, you can definitely follow Chef uh, Rossi on Facebook. So it's it's Facebook, Chef Rossi NYC for New York right. City. And then it's Twitter, Chef Rossi, and that's Rossi with an I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then theragingskillet.com. Um, today's show is we're talking about creating a, you know, a new political party, the anti-mean. Um, and we actually, Chef, we have somebody that has called into the show, would love to like uh, comment. Uh, Benny, oh, who good. do we have? Yeah, we'll yeah. take Lavelle calling in from New Jersey. Lavelle, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome, Lavelle. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, welcome, Lavelle. Yeah, Lavelle. great to have you here. Yeah, I must say that I agree with all the comments and statements that made. And I can't call them dingleberry because I associate berry with something sweet. So I'm just going to call them dingles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our leaders need to start leading by example. And if they assert more love and appreciation for everybody, not just man, woman, anybody needs love and appreciation. They have to stop being selfish and applying laws that only don't affect them, but it affects everybody else. Right. You're right. You're and so right. And that's, that's in a nutshell. Like, I really appreciate you guys putting the facts out there and being bold enough and, and, and brave enough to say the truth, which other people won't do. Mm. That's really yeah. nice of you to say. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate I- you guys. I'm a first-time listener, and I appreciate everything I'm hearing. Oh, uh, right. I really, I really think it's great. I want to ask you this question before you go. Uh, we're talking about the anti-mean, which is the new political party. What do you think some actions are that people can take so that we can reverse this streak of meanness going on? I think personally, we we have to start caring, showing a lot more love. Stop supporting the mean. Start supporting love and appreciation for the next human being. Because if we put, if we categorize everybody, then it's always going to be a little slice of mean somewhere. But if we stop categorizing and looking at everybody with equality and, and you know, treating everybody equal, then we tend to narrow that meanness away and we stop supporting it and we put love, we'll be better off. It's right. Yeah, You're I, very yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just reading um, uh, on the uh, – I was just looking at uh, Susan, uh, Susan Collins and Senator Susan Collins and what an advocate she is for mental illness, right? And so I just sent her a tweet about you know, what the Kaiser report that just put out about what will happen if this bill passes, what will happen to Medicaid. And, and I think part of this is us general real folks, right? I think we got to – Educate our folks, because as being an advocate for mental illness, one of the things folks don't get is that unless you're like a really wealthy person and you're working for a company that's going to pay for therapy, it's Medicaid. Anybody Mm -hmm. with addiction, alcoholism, dual diagnosis, it's Medicaid. I don't think our folks know that. I don't know. What do y'all think? I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. I have to I have to agree with you. And a lot of times, and I don't want to take up too much time on the airways. I know you have a lot of calls. But I, I think personally, 
uh, they don't understand the severity of this because it doesn't hit home. Right. It's like until it lands on your own front yard, you're not going to feel it. I go back to that Michael Douglas movie again, Traffic. Like, mm-hmm. he was completely shut off to that until it was his own daughter. I, I remember I had a friend of mine a while ago, and it was an interesting thing to watch, a sad but interesting thing to watch. I hadn't realized that he, he was a very successful businessman, and I hadn't realized that he had a mental illness because through his job, he had health care. And so he was able to stay medicated, and nobody knew that he had a mental illness. And so he lost his job, and he was only able to keep his health insurance for, I think, about six months. And then he lost his health insurance and couldn't find another job. And when he lost his health insurance, he had to stop taking his medication. And about eight months after he lost his job, he started to behave in a way that was shocking and it clearly in a mentally ill way, um, Mm -hmm. really erratic and really out of control. And he could no longer be a person who took part in society in a normal sort of a way, in an acceptable sort of a way. And this guy was completely healable and curable in every way just by being medicated. But when he lost his job and lost his health insurance, suddenly everything else was going too. He was losing his home. He was losing his friends. I didn't even understand that it was mental illness that was causing him to behave the way he was. And it was just so sad. I mean, this country should not let anyone lose their health insurance, should not let any mentally ill person not have access to the medication and therapy that they need. So many mentally ill people can have a completely healthy, happy, joyful, fulfilled life if they have health insurance and health care. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I think that that's why we're doing the show and have this conversation because, you know, while you may sit there and start fuming and feel like you just don't know what to do or how to do it, I think what we're talking about and, and Chef Rossi, what you're bringing to the table here, like for so many, is that we can do something different, even in the face of what we see on television. But before I said, we have a winner, and you talk about who the winner is. Mm-hmm. How do you define the winner? Well, I think when you're dealing with a whirlwind of fear and hate and, and racism and everything that's happening right now, there's not going to be a winner. There's going to be who is the least hurt person. I think the winner is really going to be the person who can look in the mirror and know that they're doing something about it. Look, I'm one person, and you're one person. And Lavelle, you still here? No, no, he he he's uh, he just had the book on. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I hopefully he's still listening. Lavelle is one person, but all of us can do something to change the tide. Can do something to speak out. Can do something to inundate this hate farm with love, and then look at ourselves in the mirror and know that we are not just sitting idly by. We're not just sitting on our hands. We're not being cowards. We're being brave, and we're speaking out. And to be able to look in the mirror and know that you are doing something to change this, then you're the winner. You know, for many people tuning into the show today, we're talking about the anti-mean. I think we also have to start about with the anti-mean from within in our own lives and what we do and how we do it. 
you know, every day I know, Chef Rossi, what you do is your love and the energy of that, you know, goes into making and creating delicious food, you know, mm-hmm. and feeding people. I mean, there's nothing I think growing up more more loving than that. But we need to really take our love and really look at, you know, how love is leading the way. I mean, we're seeing it in the support of gay marriage. I mean, that's just one thing, but it's not the only thing. We're also seeing it by watching the Emmys the other night Mm -hmm. and looking at this little show, which isn't little anymore, that came out of nowhere, right, in the Emmys with Nicole Kidman, who they said, your career is over. Right. uh, uh, you, you know, uh, this thing that all of a sudden people are saying, why is everybody talking about this? Why mm-hmm. is she, you know, why is this a big deal? And what they're discovering is that these ladies celebrated their 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 win with mm-hmm. big little lies. Mm-hmm. And this group of women who truly love each other, mm-hmm. celebrate each other, and now have taken on something seriously controversial, Mm -hmm. right, in terms of a film that may be touching a nerve about abuse. Now, let's talk about this, because in the face of the anti-mean, we have a situation now, Chef, that people don't get. With this whole immigration and DACA and all of that, There is no fallback position from anyone that is in that arena that is subject to abuse because they will not even call the police. Not even call the police. They're frightened. And I'm not talking – people called me out on this last time. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, there you go again, talking about how certain groups abuse their own people. I said, honey, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, I'm talking about people of color, people that are – worried, being abused by all people, not being able to call the police, being Mm -hmm. abused at work, all of the above. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we want to turn our eyes away from that, Chef Rossi. That fires me up right there. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, I thought a lot of things when I was watching this last Emmys. I mean, Mm. first of all, I was so thrilled to see older women standing up there like Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton. Um, See these women over the age of 60, actually, and and Jane Fonda's about to turn 80. I'm not sure how old Dolly and Lily are, but to see them up there still working. And uh, is her name Ann Dowd, who won supporting for Handmaid's Tale? Oh. She's also amazing, over 60. And just to see women in Hollywood up there over the age of 40, Reese Witherspoon, um, is she's I guess in her forties. Nicole Kidman, she's in her forties. Yeah. Yep. Um, Laura Dern. All of these yep. women to see them working makes me so happy because Hollywood is pretty much like you turn forty and it's like you basically are stuck, maybe getting a job as the grandmother, but otherwise your career is over. To see them up there was so empowering, but also, um, Big Little Lies was so powerful in so many ways, and Nicole Kidman was unbelievable. And it really, really um, took domestic abuse right there and shoved it right in your face and showed you what it looked like and how ugly and deceptive it is in a way that I've rarely seen. And 
The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, The Handmaid's Tale is chilling and terrifying. Oh. Have you have you been watching it? Oh, it's chilling. I I have to be at my best spiritual. Uh, mental body, mind, spirit to watch that thing because it's too close to reality for me. Oh my God, it's t- it's terrifying, and it's terrifying because when I watch it, I feel like the first movie, the original movie, I saw it seemed like science fiction, but now it feels like what's actually happening in our world. Like there are actually men who would love to have The Handmaid's Tale be like that: women being delegated to being their sex slaves, and it's terrifying. So. The fact that The Handmaid's Tale won in so many awards in this climate of hate and that Big Little Lies won so many awards in this climate of hate also kind of shows that people are are horrified and they see the sexism and they see the hatred and they're rewarding the people that are speaking out against it. I was also happy to see Margaret Atwood, who's the brilliant writer of The Handmaid's Tale, come out on that stage. Yes. It was like, it really was, it was gratifying and it, I love seeing, um, I don't remember her name. She's an African-American gay woman who won for writing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she gave this great speech and a shout-out to LGBTQ and everything. And, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that was really empowering. So I'm sure right right after that, Kellyanne Conway said something like, oh, you're alienating 60 million people by speaking out against Dingleberry, something like Mm -hmm. that. And I was like, no, actually, I got to think that maybe 60 million people are looking at these wonderful women and wondering, like, why do we have to hurt them? And looking at these gay people and thinking, why do we have to be prejudiced against them? Like, it plants a little bit of the seed of the anti-mean. Some people are just so mean that nothing's going to work. But a lot of people, like, little seeds and little seeds and little seeds, and eventually can at least make a crack and get in there. Well, and, you know, one of the things I'm struck by is, and let's just talk about this because we're talking about the anti-mean. And I think that more than any political statements we can say on air, more than anything that gets tweeted by Kellyanne, whatever, you know, any of that done, what you have to look at at some point in time is what people stepped back and talked about. There were more powerful women that were at this pop culture event Mm -hmm. speaking about things that matter. Mm -hmm. And when we look back at that, when Reese Witherspoon said, yeah, we had to create this because we just weren't getting the roles. But the bottom line is, she was a mega player in the production of that. Mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, husband, David E. Kelly, of course, she was nominated from a chilling role uh, for a chilling role, but he did the writing on it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there was so much present in the TV version, if you mm-hmm. will, which mm-hmm. isn't even true anymore. Mm-hmm. The TV version of the Oscars that was so powerful that it drew attention to things that would go pretty much unnoted. I think that people in the arts really, I'm not going to say they're all nice, there's bad people in the arts too, but I think because it's a creative industry, you're getting your heartstrings pulled a lot more. Like to be a good writer, you have to put your heart out on the page. You have to really bleed yourself onto the page. And the same to be a good actor. 
And so the industry does inspire people to think from their heart. So I think that that's why you see so much of an outpouring of trying to change the world and trying to be the anti-mean, my personal theory. Yeah. You know, I wanted to to talk about the evolution, and, and the evolution here is, um, you know, this idea of teaching our children. Now, I think this is one of the most important um, pieces of work that we have to do, our children, whether they're mm-hmm. our children, right. our grandchildren, or let's just say children. There is something to teach about equality. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in an era where that was super uber important to teach things about equality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think we're doing on that report card? Well, I'll tell you something. The one thing that gives me hope and that I I really think is most gratifying is the millennials. Um, mm-hmm. Like my goddaughter, who just turned 20, this election was the first time she voted, and my protege, who just turned 19, and my sort of adopted goddaughter, who just turned, I think, 18, if I remember. Yeah. Um, and I have a wonderful niece in Dallas and another one here in New York. I've got this whole generation of women that are in their late teens and early 20s, and the millennials have really awoken in this way that I haven't seen, that probably this country has not seen since the 60s, where they don't like what's going on and they want to do something about it. And the reason that gives me hope is if, if there's an entire generation of young people that are feeling like that, some who are just voting for the first time, some who haven't even been able to vote yet, that means that's what our future looks like. Our future looks like people with their eyes open, ready to make a change and ready to open their mouth and say when they see something wrong. That gives me hope. Unfortunately, the millennials are not in office right now. So I don't want to have to wait 30 or 40 years or 20 or 30 years for good things to happen. We can't wait for the millennials to all take office. We have to change the world now. But it is this very encouraging. Yeah. You know, you and I, I mean, we get to interact and be with a lot of people. You're out in the public 24-7. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, of course, you're also come across people of all ages, all sizes, all of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I want to ask you about the anti-hate, right? Mm-hmm. The winner really is love. Mm-hmm. You know, where do we start to make sure that the parents of the children that we know, right? We know the children. I know the right. children. Right. But how do we get to the parents to make sure that as parents and grandparents, we understand how our behavior and action maybe maybe be being picked up by a Facebook tweet or maybe be overheard in a restaurant. But the reality is I, I don't believe, I mean, with the exception of maybe a sociopath, but mm-hmm. I don't believe people are born mean or born evil. I think that right. that is created. Um, would Hitler have become Hitler if he was cradled in love? I don't know. He might have been so mentally ill that maybe he would have anyway, but I got to think if he had been cradled in love, maybe he wouldn't have turned out to be a serial killer dictator like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
would Dingleberry be, you know, so enthused to take away people's health insurance and to scapegoat the Mexicans and immigrants if he'd been cradled in an enormous amount of love? You know, I got to think maybe not. So sometimes we cannot get the parents to change the way they're teaching their children. And we even see them teaching them to be racist and saying racist words around them and doing mean things around them. And in that case, all we can do is try to intervene to be a role model for those kids in the best way we can. I mean, I have um, someone in my life who was getting terrible messages from his father um, that women were disposable and that they were just only good for basically being a baby mama and a sex toy. And he was Mm. getting these terrible messages. And so... I couldn't do anything to change his father. His father was a sexist, alcoholic abuser. There was not a Mm -hmm. lot I could do. But what I could do was to take him every summer for a week and try to deprogram him, try to just show him how great a woman role model could be, how to respect women. And I don't know. Now it's, um, he's now in his thirties and he has a wife and a daughter and he's turned into a pretty great guy, almost a feminist. So, if I had anything to do with that, which I kind of think I did, you know, that's a really proud achievement for me. So I couldn't change who his parents were, but I could try to be a role model to show him what something else might look like. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, Chef, I, I think that every day I hope to get wiser in mm-hmm. the world. You know, I hope to be able to find ways to go deeper into my own existence as well as understand, you know, the many facets of humanity. I really do strive for that. Um, Some days I do better than others. And Mm -hmm. I want to ask you this question. You know, what what would you ask of yourself to be better at in the days to come? in the spirit of love. And thank you so much for today. Uh, you know, because um, today is a very special day for me. It's September 19th, which yeah. is the anniversary of my mother passing away. And tomorrow night is Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the Jewish big New day. Year. Big day. It's a big day. And in, in our religion, it's called the Days of Awe. So it's like the books of judgment kind of open on Rosh Hashanah, and then they close when Yom Kippur um, ends a week later. So we have this time to atone. And every year I take it very seriously. I have to admit I don't go to the synagogue, what I call shul, often, mm-hmm. but I do go during this time. And I do actually really try to atone, like how Catholics might have confession. We have a week of confession. And what I found was that it was hard to forgive people. Um, that was one of the hardest things for me to do. But what was a lot harder was to forgive myself. And I think I'm still working on a couple of crappy things I did when I was like eight years old. You know, it's crazy. I beat up a little boy when I was eight years old Mm. for no reason whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. to this day, I'm looking for him to apologize, except I don't know his last name. Yeah. But so I think forgiving others and forgiving ourselves is something that I, I personally need to work on. But it's also how I choose to honor my mother and how I choose to honor Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, when my mother would see bad things happening, wars and crime and pain and abuse, 
she would say, has mankind learned nothing? Because mm-hmm. she lost family in the Holocaust and she couldn't yep. believe all these years later these ugly things were still happening. Mm. Well, you know, Chef, there's so very much that we are going to bring forward. Chef Rossi, everybody. You've been listening to Raging Skillet Radio, mouthing off with Chef Rossi. Tune in on Transformation Talk Radio, and if you have missed any part of this, check it out at theragingskillet.com or transformationtalkradio.com. Say hi to Chef Rossi, let her know what's on your mind, and we will bring it to the next show. Visit theragingskillet.com, and don't forget to get your own copy of the hit memoir, The Raging Skillet by Chef Rossi. See you next time. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.